So the Lord's prophetic word for this year is that he is, that we are going to see his glory in our city and the church, capital C, throughout the city, in this church and in our lives. Um, every Sunday, we've been hearing testimonies of what Jesus is doing. Uh, and majority of the testimonies that we hear are breakthroughs financially, physical bodies healed, those kind of external miracles. But, um, you know, there are other kind of testimonies that are just as remarkable, if not even more remarkable. I'm going to give an example of one today. And... Uh, uh, I'm going to talk about Marsha Brown for a moment. Jeff, I, I don't see Marsha here. Um, J- Marsha's husband's there. And Marsha didn't know I was going to bring this up, so she's probably glad that she's not here. Um, so Marsha has been battling cancer for 10 years. And uh, we've walked with her through that journey this whole time. Uh, last night I was in a leadership meeting, and we, one, of the, one of our leaders is a nurse, and uh, Christina here, and she said that one of her patients who's battling with the same kind of cancer, is that accurate? Asked uh, Christina, do you know Marsha Brown? Now this ties into the glory of God theme we're talking about, where his glory is revealed through our lives. And it's not just revealed when he causes, you know, manna to fall out of the sky or water to come out of a rock or a financial breakthrough or promotion or a physical healing. His glory is also revealed when you are in the valley. When you're going through a trial, the way you go through the trial reveals God. Because anybody can complain and whine and, and uh, uh, curse God and others when they go through hard times in the trial. But then there are those who go through the valley of the shadow of death with Jesus. And the way that they conduct themselves in the midst of that pressure and that trial and that suffering and that confusion glorifies God. Can I hear an Amen. So this guy asks Christina, do you know Marsha Brown? Well, you know what? Instead of me telling this testimony, you're the one that told him. Why don't you run up here, Christina? Sorry. This is how we roll around. Let's welcome Christina Williams. There's two reasons. It's more authentic when it comes from the person who actually was there. Secondly, I won't exaggerate it or... Uh, make mistakes, and you have to correct me later, and then I get shamed. So, thanks for putting me on the spot. Yeah, absolutely. Welcome. <laughs> um, so, I'm a nurse at the VA, and uh, I had a patient first time getting chemo, and they're always like super nervous; they don't know what to expect. And he said, "What's your name?" And I said, "Christina." And he's like, "Oh, Christina, do you know Marsha Brown?" Or he said, "Mrs. Brown." And I was like, "Mrs. Brown," because I I just think of Marsha as Marsha, you know. Yeah. And I'm like, Mrs. Brown. And he said something, like he led me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Marsha. And he goes, she's, she talked to me. And she, she, she was there, and she was just so um, uplifting to him that he just came in, and he wasn't even worried or anything. He just, like, he just came in, and he was just so relaxed. And he's like, I talked to Marsha Brown, and she... She, I don't know what she said to him, but like you could just tell that she encouraged him, him, comforted him. him. And he came in and I guess she must have told him that I was a nurse, that we go to church together. And, and so that's how he knew my name. And it was just like this, um, amazing connection. And then I actually prayed for him during the chemo and, uh, awesome. 
Anyway, he's he's still going, and he's always comes in, and he's just encouraged. And Isn't I don't know beautiful? if he's talked to her many times, but um, Marsha definitely has touched his life. Um, so it's just awesome. So here, go ahead. Yeah, thank you, Christina. Well said. So here is uh, a member of our congregation who sits here and sees people get healed. Here's testimonies of miracles. For 10 years, she has not had a the cancer leave her body. My wife's in the same condition. And yet the way they go through it is the testimony. So instead of her feeling sorry for herself and asking God why and being bitter, she's encouraging other cancer patients in the hospital to where her reputation is, she is an encourager. Isn't that just beautiful? That is a manifestation of the glory of God. Amen? So our foundational text, Isaiah chapter 60, 1 and 2 says this, Arise, shine. Everybody say, Arise, shine. This is God's prophetic word to you right now in this season. Arise and shine. Everybody say, Shine. Shine. You see, when you are walking with God, you're going to find yourself shining in the darkness. Lights don't need, lights are not impressive when you're in a room full of lights. You just flip another light on, it's not that impressive. But when it's pitch dark and the light's flipped on, all of a sudden you can see. That's what it's like when you and I walk in this earth with our friend group, the people at work, the people in school, your classmates, your, your, your family, your neighbors, this world that is not following Christ. We're in a post-Christian society. So the value system is getting farther and farther away from him. So you look weirder and weirder, but really what it is is you're shining the light of God by walking with Christ. And what I have found over the last 35 years I've been walking with him or more is when people find themselves in need, in trouble, their philosophies don't serve them anymore. They're looking for answers. And if you have been that bright light, even if you've been mocked or ridiculed or made fun of or whatever, or they've been in arguments with you, religious arguments or philosophical arguments, when their day of trial and trouble comes, I guarantee you, you are going to be one of the first people that comes to the front of their mind. Because of your conviction, because of your steadfast walk with Christ, they're going to come to you and they're going to ask you for prayer. They're going to ask you, why do you believe the way you believe? People that come to death's door, it's amazing how the arrogance and the pride and the philosophies just go away and they cry out to God. So you and I, God rests his glory on us so that we shine like lights in a dark world so that people can have a very clear path to Christ. You don't want to be, you don't want to be, uh, you don't want mediocrity. You don't want to be a gray area because then when people are in need, they don't know who to go to. And so this is why God says this about his church, Isaiah 60, 1 and 2, prophesying about the church, which is our day right now. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, look, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. These are, this is ungodly value systems, uh, antichrist philosophies. That's what darkness is. We'll cover the earth. But, everybody say but. I love the big buts in the Bible. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. Later in that chapter, he literally says this. 
I will glorify the house of my glory. I will glorify the house of my glory. Um, uh, are you with me? Verse uh, 7b. I will glorify the house of my glory. Well, it's not a physical house anymore. God's house is his people. That's you and I. God will glorify the people of his glory. This scripture very clearly says God will glorify you, which is what we looked at last week. So I'm moving quickly through this first part because I want us to land on something really significant. And look at 9b. He says that people are going to show you favor and bless you and come to you because God has glorified you. That's what I was saying just a minute ago. That people will be attracted to you because they see the glory of God on you. They won't know what it is. They wouldn't be able to say, oh, that's the glory of God. But they will recognize a difference in you and they will come to you because God has glorified you. And then you can point them to Him. What we don't want to do is drink in the glory, take the credit for it, and let the end result be about us. That's like the moon saying, Look how I shine. Aren't, isn't my light amazing? My light, isn't my light amazing? Well, how does the moon shine? Not moonshine. How does the moon shine? For those of you from Louisiana way, I, I don't want to. My, my, my nephew, or my nephew, my niece is visiting in the back there and she's from Louisiana and so I just had to throw that out there a little bit of moonshine never hurt anybody the moon shine how does the moon shine the reflects what the light of the sun if the sun wasn't there the moon would not be shining and if Christ wasn't in our lives we would not be shining so I'm going to give an example of God glorifying somebody in the Bible uh, but the glory we're going to read about is the end result of this person's life. Where they are, they wrote a song to God about how he has glorified his life. But it didn't always look that way. My message today for you is that God takes us from glory to glory. But in between each glory is a dip. I remember when I uh, moved to San Diego, the only place I'd ever skied was in Ohio. And in Ohio, the largest mountain you can ski on is about the height of this stage, right? And so you get a little rope. They don't have ski lifts because, I mean, where would you go? There's nowhere to go. So they just have that rope you hang on to, right? And you go up the little bunny hill. That's where you start here in California. You do the rope for the little bunny hill. Well, that's all we have in Ohio. I moved to California and my friend says, hey, you want to go skiing? I'm like, sure. And that's all I have in my mind. Oh, dear God. We show up to the mountain, and there's 10 ski lifts, man, and they are going, these chairs are going all the way up to this mountain peak. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm like, I don't think I want to go on this ride. And I get on that ch- chair lift, and we're headed up this mountain. I'm looking at this mountain peak, and it's so far off in the distance. I'm like, there is no way I'm going to stay on the chair. I'm just going to go right back down. I'm not getting off. But you have to. They make you get off. And I was, we're getting closer and closer and closer to this mountain peak. And I am like thinking, I'm going to scoot down on my butt all the way down the mountain. There's no way I'm skiing down this thing. We're getting it all the way up to the top and I'm ready to get off. But guess what? That was just the first peak. We go over the peak 
And all of a sudden, I see this other mountain peak way up there. And what do we do first, though? We go down into the valley and then way back up to that next highest peak. That is, that is the way it is when we walk with God and He has a supernatural calling on your life. He calls you from peak to peak, from glory to glory. But many times there's a valley between each peak. You never know what's going to happen here at the Gathering Place Church. We just, we just, we just roll with it. All right, here we go. So, in Psalm 21, she doesn't want to be upstaged by her husband. See what you did? See what you created? She just walked out on you, by the way. I hope that last moment of glory you had up here was worth it because she's, she's gone. Psalm 21, David writing this psalm at the end of his life. The king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord. In your salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. Think about that. That's what Selah means. Think about that. You meet him with the blessings of goodness. You set a crown of pure gold upon his head. He asked life from you and you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory. Whose glory? David's talking about himself. His glory, my, he's talking about himself in the third person. My glory is great and your salvation. You see that? God's salvation produced glory in David's life. My glory is great in your salvation. Honor and majesty you have placed upon me. Talking about himself in the third person. For you have made him or me most blessed forever and then the most important there's always this debate between the things god does and just him as a parent to a child you know i mean we we're like a little money tree we fix things and we give money fix things and give money pretty much that's what dads do eventually there's a relationship that is formed and then the child just wants to hang with you like they did when they were a, a, a kid And that's what parents want the most, right? Is that intimacy, that relationship. And God will do that with us. He'll give us things and fix things. Until we decide, I want to know you. The thing is, we get both. Look what David said. You have made him exceedingly glad with your presence. Isn't that awesome? Look at all this. Look at all this. Strength. My heart's desires have been answered. The requests of my lips. Blessings of goodness. Crown of pure gold. Life. Length of days. Glory. Honor. Majesty. Most blessed forever. Your presence in my life. And then the second half of the psalm is, and you kick my enemy's butt. And actually he called him your enemy. David and God were so one that David said, you have defeated your enemies with the enemies he was talking about with the enemies that came against David and David calls them your enemies because your enemies are my enemies and my enemies are your enemies
But look at the prayers he prayed. I know that many times we uh, resist praying big fat prayers because we think it's selfish and materialistic. But let me tell you something. Look at this quote from Mark Batterson. I love it. Bold prayers honor God. And God honors bold prayers. God isn't offended by your biggest dreams and boldest prayers. He's offended by anything less. If your prayers are impossible to you, they are insulting to God. If they aren't impossible to you, they are insulting to God. How do we glorify God? By praying big prayers so that God can answer them. And then the light is shown on God's bigness and greatness. Look what Jesus said. This is amazing. John 12, oh, John 14, 12 through 14. Jesus says, Most surely I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. That's amazing. Now think about the works Jesus did. Cleansed the lepers, heals the sick, he raised the dead. And Jesus says that you and I would do the same works, and watch this, and even greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. That's amazing. Now watch this. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the father may be glorified in the son. You see how that works? You pray the biggest prayers you can possibly pray. If they're not impossible for you, they're insulting to God. You pray these huge prayers, and then God answers some of them, and bam! People's like, wow! God's glorified. Right? David glorified God by praying those big prayers, and God answered them. But they do not happen overnight. I want to talk to you about David's story this morning so you can see the process that God brings us from glory to glory and how we are going to see God's glory on our city and on our church and in our lives. Some of you right now are in the valley. Some of you are halfway up the mountain. Some of you are right close to that mountain peak. And I'm saying do not give up and you will see the glory of God. Now, David was anointed as a teenager. This is where the glory began. David's just minding his own business. He's a little shepherd, teenage boy, about 15, has his guitar, and he's back on the backside of the desert just taking care of his dad's sheep. And then his dad calls him in one day and calls David in from the the sheepfold, and he comes into the house, and there's his seven brothers and his dad, and there's the prophet Samuel. It's like, what is the prophet Samuel doing at our house? And Samuel calls him over. And anoints him with oil, which is the sign of the Holy Spirit. Anoints him the next king of Israel. When you are just seeking the Lord, you have your own private relationship, you're just loving God, and it's sincere and authentic, the Lord will open doors for you. The Lord will anoint you and He will exalt you. What God doesn't want is us glorifying ourselves or us exalting ourselves. He wants us just to have a relationship with him, and then he'll take care of all that other stuff. David wasn't pining away to be the king of Israel. He wasn't wanting to be famous. He wasn't looking to be wealthy. He was just loving the Lord. 
I pray that as our 21-day fast starts this evening, I pray that your primary goal of the next 21 days is to see God's glory in your relationship with Him, that He will reveal Himself to you on a personal level, that you will find your soul satisfaction being increased because of your relationship with the Lord getting more intimate and deeper. I'm telling you, the wisdom, the joy, the peace, the clarity will be worth every meal you miss, every prayer you pray, every time you isolate yourself away from your friends or your family, you pick up that word, you read it, you pray, even if you don't experience anything in the first time you're with him, the second time, the third time, a week, 10 days, 15, I guarantee you over the next three weeks, as you have this consistency, you are going to be, you're going to experience your peace going deeper, being able to hear the voice of the Lord more clearly, your vision being cleared, the strength, the grace, not to mention the external prayers that are going to be answered. And it'll be revolutionary for you, not to mention our church. So David comes in and the prophet anoints him. That is glory. In front of his brothers, in front of his dad, anointed the next king of Israel. But here's the thing. So often when you get a word from the Lord, an encounter, a prophetic word, it's so glorious. I mean, what a glorious moment. I mean, that's crazy for the prophet to be anointing him, the next king of Israel. We're not talking about being promoted from the mailroom to having your own cubicle. We're talking about being a teenage kid taking care of his dad's sheep, the youngest of eight brothers, to the king of Israel. But what happened the next day? He was back there playing his guitar, taking care of the sheep, cleaning up sheep poop, getting the bugs out of their wool. It is so odd when God gives you a prophetic word or a promise, how it feels like it's going to come to pass in the morning. But for David, it was years. Everything just goes back to normal. And that's the test. The in-between of God's prophetic word for your life and God's glory being manifest, that's the test. What do you do in that meantime? The patience, the long-suffering, the trust. David was anointed king. Then the day came when his dad said, will you go take some uh, bread and cheese and some crackers up to your brothers because they're in battle with the Philistines. So David goes to take some food to his brothers and, of course, you know the story. Most of you know the story about David and Goliath. So he comes up on the scene, and here's all of the army of Israel, including his brothers, with their knees knocking together. For 40 days, this giant had been coming out and shaming and defaming the people of God, cursing their God and challenging them to come down here and fight me. And King Saul and all the Israeli army were scared to death. But David had intimacy with the Lord. It was just a personal relationship with God. And out of that intimacy with him that he cultivated, like Josh when he was a teenager, cultivated a relationship with the Lord in his bedroom. He would just close the door, get his guitar, our our worship pastor, Josh, closed his guitar and he said the presence of God would just fill his room. And as those the memories of, of cultivating 
That spiritual well of intimacy with Jesus, way back when he was a teenager, is what he brings on the stage for us. It's where he goes when he comes to lead worship here and other places. He's able to offer that to the world, to the body of Christ, because he cultivated it there. And his, his, his battles that he wins throughout his day. David brings this intimacy with God onto this scene. And he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? I don't care how big he is. I don't care about his weaponry. None of that makes any difference. He doesn't have a relationship with God. And I do. And he goes down there. and We know the story. He whoops him. Chops his head off. Israel prevails. And David is made the captain of the king's army. That's glory, isn't it? He's promoted from being a shepherd boy to a captain in the king's army. Like that. This is how God operates. So often it seems like there's nothing. I remember God giving me that prophetic word. God spoke to my heart. There's a prophecy over me, a dream he gave to me, a prayer that I prayed that I know is from him. And then it was like nothing for the longest time. And then in one day, bam, you go from being a shepherd boy to being a captain over the army. And he got to marry the king's daughter. That's some serious promotion. And the women in Israel were singing songs. Their songs were, Saul, the king of Israel, has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. And that was the mistake. (laughs) So here's David, who's going from glory to glory to glory to glory, and all of a sudden, jealousy, envy, entered the king's heart. And he tried to pin David to the wall with his spear, eating dinner with your father-in-law. Here you are at the king's table. You're the captain over his armies. But he gets jealous of you. And he literally takes out his spear and tries to pin David to the wall. And he ducks. And David's like, what is going on? And, David, and the king kept trying to kill him until finally David had to run for his life. Unjust treatment. And then Saul started defaming him, spreading rumors about David all throughout Israel that he was disloyal to the king, that he could not be trusted, that he was a thief, that he was a liar, that he wasn't who he said he was. Trying to, it was character assassination to tear David down because Saul was jealous. Sometimes you will go through situations in life when you are falsely accused, treated unjustly, lied about. What are you going to do? How are you going to react? How are you going to behave? Here's a great scripture I want to read to you right now. Uh, I'll have to pull up my phone. This is so good. First Timothy, uh, first Peter. I want you to look at this. And this has to do with God's glory. First Peter In chapter 4, starting in verse 3. Are you with me, Chris? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3. Look at this. I'm going to read this out of the NIV. Let me get to verse 3 here. So good. 
For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. That's not good. Okay, let's go down to verse... 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. That's what was happening to David. As though something strange were happening to you. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Do you know that he was falsely accused too? Unjustly treated? So that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Watch this. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Isn't that awesome? As David's running for his life, living in caves, the glory of God is resting upon him. And the glory of God is working in him. You know, this is such a great verse in the book of Colossians. It says this. In fact, I've got it right here. Look at this verse. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. Watch this. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you the assurance of sharing his glory. You see, as David was being falsely accused, and he loses his family, he loses his position, he loses his power and his wealth and his authority, he loses his wife, the king's daughter, he loses his reputation all of his friends, his homeland, and he runs for his life, and he has to live in caves. He was living in the king's palace. Now he has to literally live in the wilderness in caves. And then there's 400 men who attach themselves to David. And do you know the definition of these 400 men, his first army, his first congregation, his new friends? It says they were distressed and debt and discouraged. And some of them were titled worthless and wicked this is your crew and he's living in caves his reputation's destroyed but in the midst in the midst of that in that season of his life the glory of God was working not outside of David although God was setting up his promotion, though David couldn't see it. And a lot of the Psalms you read in the book of Psalms are a lot of the songs that David wrote during this season of suffering and confusion and unjust treatment and character defamation and loss and loneliness. A lot of the Psalms in the Bible are written during that period of David's life. Some of the best Psalms, some of the ones we most identify with, right? Hello, anybody awake this morning? You with me? 
It's in the valley where we get to know God the best. It's where He reveals Himself to us the most because we need Him the most in those times. I like what Mark says. It's easy to ignore God when everything is going great in your life. But it's when things are falling apart that we draw near to Him and He speaks to us and comforts us and gives us hope. So the glory of God was working inside of David, strengthening his character and his compassion and his wisdom and his dependency on God so that when he was exalted to be the king of Israel, he was not a tyrant like the previous king Saul, but rather he was a good, good shepherd that could reveal God to God's people. That's why Israel loved David so much was because of his intimacy with the Father, with God. And he was able to draw Israel, all of God's people, into this intimate relationship. He would talk about God and how good he was and his humility and his kindness and his compassion was overwhelming. So much so to the point where one time he's living in a cave and he says, oh, if I could just have a drink of water from the wells of Bethlehem. And his three top guys snuck out of the cave through the army that was trying to find and kill David all the way to Jerusalem, snuck up to the well, got a cup of water and brought it all the way back to David. Who does that? They did that because they loved David so much because of who David was. They were so loyal to him. Because they loved him because of who he was. But David was who he was because he was so intimate with God. They'd never seen anybody like this before. That's influence. David takes the cup. He didn't even drink it. This is the kind of man David was. David poured it out on the ground as an offering to God saying, I am not worthy to drink a cup that would have cost these men's lives. They're like, we will die with you. (laughs) The glory that God is developing on the inside of you is more important than the glory you're going to see on the outside of you. It's Christ-likeness in you. Look at the Apostle Paul says about this. This is amazing. He says, for our light affliction. This is amazing. 2 Corinthians 4.17. For our light affliction. Okay, can I explain to you the definition of his light affliction? Whipped three times to where, just like Jesus was whipped. 39 times whipped with, with the shards that cut into the flesh. Three times he was whipped. Uh, beaten with rods. Forsaken by all of his friends. Shipwrecked. Fastings often. Living in the wilderness. Defamed. Stripped of everything. He calls his life, these afflictions, light these light afflictions. How could, he, how could he call them light afflictions? Because in contrast to the glory of God, they are light. Why? Because God's glory is weighty. Look at this. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. This life is very temporary, family. It's working for us. Everybody say, working for me. Say, God's glory is working for me. No, no, no. Say this. These afflictions. Come on. These afflictions are working for me. 
a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. These trials in your lives, when you walk with God through them, the trial works for you. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Depending on how you behave and walk it out. So David loses his position, his power, his wealth. Character assassination rejected by his father-in-law, the king. His own people reject him. So finally he has to go live in the enemy's territory with the Philistines. The ones that he used to kill ten thousands of at a time, he now has gone and asked them, can I live with you guys? Because my own friends, my own people, my own king does not want me. And he lives with the enemy. And at one point, the enemy, the Philistines, is going out to battle with Israel. And David says, me and my men are ready to go with you. Let's go. And the enemy, the captains of the Philistines said, no, 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 no. You can't ride with us. Because in the middle of the battle, you'll turn and and start killing us to try to gain the favor of your king again. So the enemy rejects him. Now it's a bad season when your enemies don't even want you. So I'm going to wrap it up with this. In this condition, David is going back home to this little tiny town named Ziklag that the enemy king, the Philistine team, let him live in. He's living in the enemy territory... He's completely rejected. He's lost everything. He's got 400 wicked and worthless, distressed, distressed and broke and discouraged men. And he's going back to the town. That's all he's got left. These men in this little tiny town in the Philistine territory. That's all he has. And they come upon it and look what happens. So David and his men came to the city and there it was, burned with fire. You think you've had a bad day? You think you're in a bad season? His town was burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. Have you ever been in that season before? Have you ever done that before? I have. Well, you're so grieved that you weep until you have no more power to weep, no more strength, no more tears to, pray, to cry. And David's wives were taken. And it says, and David was greatly distressed. Well, I would think so. Why? For the people spoke of stoning him. Now the only 400 people left in his life want to kill him. That's a bad day. Because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and daughters. Everybody said that next sentence out loud. But Ooh, yeah. that, that was the turning point. Oh man, isn't that amazing? David's inside his little hut or clay house or whatever it was. His life is over. And the people outside his front door have rocks in their hands waiting for him to come outside. They've wept till they can weep no more. And they are going to stone him to death. 
what happened when Samuel was at my house and he anointed me to be the next king of Israel? What happened? Did I screw up? Did I offend God? Did I make bad decisions? What did I do so wrong to end up in this situation? What did he do? He strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now let me tell you, if he had not cultivated that relationship with the Lord, learning how to draw near to the Lord, learning how to be in the Word of God and have God speak through Scripture, learning how to hear the voice of God, how would he know how to strengthen himself in the Lord his God in the worst day of his life if he had not cultivated that as a habit since he was a teenager. He wouldn't have been able to. He would have been begging for mercy. He would have gone outside and pleaded with them, compromised. He would have ran for his life, which he had already been doing. But no, he knew where to go and how to get there. He strengthened himself and the Lord, his God. That's what I'm encouraging you to do over these next 21 days is to cultivate your intimacy with the Lord so that when you run up against something that is overwhelming you and you should be shaking in your boots and you think there's no way we're going to get out of this, you can go strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Please bring me the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod, which is the thing you wore to seek God. And he said, so David inquired of the Lord, saying, why is this happening to me? Is that what he said? No. Abiathar brought it to him and he said, shall I pursue this troop? Isn't that awesome? Shall I pursue this troop and shall I overtake them? And he answered, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them. And without fail, you will recover all. David, in the worst moment of his life, did not ask God, why is this happening to me? That is a wasted question. It'll take you down a rabbit hole of discouragement, confusion, darkness, bitterness. It'll waste your energy. You'll get all sorts of reasons why in counsel. David did not ask God why in the midst of his worst day of his life. He asked God, what? Amen. What do you want me to do? Isn't that amazing? Here he is alone in his little hut. He's got six, 400 men outside ready to stone him to death. He's lost his wife, his kids, his position, power, wealth, reputation. He has nothing. What do you want me to do? God says, go kick some butt. All right, here we go. He walks outside to these 400 men, I mean, warriors, ready to stone him to death. And it's just amazing. When you are alone with God in your darkest hour and you get clarity, which is part of God's glory. Clarity. I heard God. I know what he wants me to do. That clarity 
gives you deep conviction. I know what God wants, and that gives you tremendous courage. I've heard from the Lord. He walks outside his front door to these 400 guys, doesn't even talk to them about the fact our kids have been kidnapped and our wives and the city's been burnt down and all your houses are gone and we have, we have no home. I'm a king without a castle, right? I'm super tramp. He didn't sing that song. No, he walks out his front door and says, hey, let's go get our wives and kids back. Let's go. And they're like, yeah, drop her rocks and just follow them right now. And they pursued and they kicked the enemy's butt, got their wives and their kids back. Now watch this. And the next morning, <laughs> the next morning, David was made king of Israel. You've heard the phrase, it's always darkest before the dawn. It's the same in the spiritual. Do not give up. Do not give up when you are in your darkest hour because that's when you're going to see the glory of God. Amen. 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 All right, come on, let's all stand. Francisco, go ahead. Well, don't pat a cake, God. Come on now. Have you got... Uh, John, among other things, sometimes I believe I hear from the Lord and this has to connect with what you are saying. Just what you say, do not ask why, but what? We were praying here before the service, and all of you are invited to come before the service and pray. And I was telling the Lord, you know, about the glory of 2020, and, and I said, Lord, what, what, Lord? And I was the very person of asking him, what, Lord, what I need to do different? What I need to do different? And he says to me, risk. You need to risk it all, including your reputation, Javier. Hmm. You need to risk it all. You need to go forward with everything. No plan A. No plan B, no plan C, just risk it all. And that blends with that. Awesome. Thank Sorry you. to take this. No, it's good. It's a good prophetic word. All right, come on. Let's, let's just raise, open our hands toward heaven. God is with you in the valley. And he is setting up your promotion. How you behave in the valley of unjust treatment, being overlooked, Somebody gets a position you thought deserved to you, a loss of wealth, reputation, being misunderstood, misjudged, sickness, disease, whatever the trial is, God's with you. He's with you. He's setting you up. And as you seek Him, His glory is working inside of you, the nature of Christ, and He's making you wiser and deeper, stronger. It's where you get to know Him better. And then when your season's over, there you are shining like a light for others around you. And that will give glory to God. God, show us your glory this year. We want to see you and know you and draw near to you. We want to be a light for the world. To be able to find you with. I pray God for these teenagers and these 20-somethings that are in school. That they would not buy into the world system. And their light just becomes dim. And they're no different. So there's no hope on that campus. Father, I pray 
that as they stand for you, that they will experience and feel your glory resting upon them. Your companionship, your friendship, your, your pleasure. And that through them, others will come to your son, one by one. Lord, we ask you, glorify us so that we can glorify you.